On this episode of Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight, we're going to look at some simple things you can do at home or at a business to help protect your family and your property and make you less likely to be a target or even a target of opportunity and perhaps even defend against a skilled and focused attacker who may want to rob you, burgle you, or attack your home or otherwise. These are some tips and techniques you may have heard of, some you probably will not have heard of, that are very simple that you can do at home to help prepare yourself to be able to evacuate quicker and easier, feel safer, and protect what is yours. All that and more right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to Grayman episode number 15, where we're going to talk about some physical security measures you can take at home and at work in order to protect yourself, make yourself less of a target, and not stand out so much in order to make yourself appealing to somebody that may want to burgle you, rob from you, or do worse. This can help for anything from everyday life to when you're going to be gone for a long time traveling, or in the case that you need to be a refugee and evacuate from the area, you want to do the things that you can in order to minimize the possibility somebody's going to take from you or harm you or your property. There are many great books out there that have little or just total information on this subject. There's plenty you can look at. Uh, the thing to do really is to try to find them in a bookstore if you're not familiar with them. Browse them, see if it has the information you're looking for. You can either walk away with or if you want to purchase that book or order it online. A lot of stuff I have is fairly common in certain circles. Some is common to everybody. I learned a lot of this as part of a three-day security class I did once uh, in the intelligence community that covered simple things about vehicles, people's homes, or places of business, storage facilities, cash points, where we talked about different types of deterrent measures and things you can do to either hide valuables, protect yourself, or how to get to the items you need. You've either hidden or get them from somebody else. One of the first things I look at when I talk to people or evaluate their properties is how their vehicles are parked. While I may see simple, not too many people actually have circle drives or have a type of driveway where it doesn't look like a circle drive, but the land allows them to create one. Now, in an emergency, of course, you can drive over bushes and all different types of things. But for regular usage, like where I live, I have a lot of gravel. And when it rains, there isn't a lot of water there. The ground doesn't depress. A lot of people do what I do, and I use it as a natural circle drive. The reason why this is important is most people pull straight in. And we're trained to do that because, one, that's what we see people do, and two, that's typical of a standard parking lot in the United States. But at home or anywhere you got to leave your vehicle long-term or for several hours a day, I always recommend backing in. One is just safety is a simple measure. You don't have to look as much, pay attention to as much, or make the effort to see where you're backing out, where people are walking. You don't have to worry about that. The other thing is you can pull straight out and drive and evacuate rather quickly, which can be important to you, and it's a good habit to get into. Another reason is a lot of people have some sort of vehicle, a sort of a hatchback style, and when they go and buy groceries or anything like that, they normally pull in, but they back in when they have cargo. The problem with that is it creates a pattern. It creates a pattern that, oh, Mrs. Rogers' vehicle's backed in, she must have went and got groceries today, and you're telling people what you're doing and when. And think about it. If you're in a situation in a neighborhood where you know your neighbors, you've got a nosy neighbor, that's the target you're trying to defeat when you're trying to be gray. But how many times have they approached you and forecasted what you did for the day? Why did they do that? What did you do differently that made that stand out? Something as simple as how you park could have given that information away. So you can take that opportunity from them just by changing how you park your vehicles. That's why the circle drive comes in. You don't have to worry about backing in. 
because you can drive right through that circle drive and just go about your day and not have to worry about backing in. Now, if you're wondering, how do I do this in a parking lot? Well, first look at the parking lot. Do they have bumpers or barriers so that you can't just pop over them and drive through? A lot of people do that for safety. So if you want to start doing it in a parking lot where it's designed for you to park a certain way, park farther out from the building. Some people don't want to do that because they feel less safe or think it's less safe because they're out in the open and their vehicle feels like it's safety because it's this protective cocoon, which it's not. One of the things that does for you is give you time to surveil the area while you're walking to that building, wherever it is, and to see what's going on. It also gives you time to observe the area on your way out, and it gives you more choices and opportunities to avoid high traffic areas and find different routes to get to where you're going. So if you're concerned about that, what I would do is just think of it as situational awareness. If you want to drive a large circle or drive through the area like you're looking like a, for a parking spot like everybody else, that's fine. Use that opportunity to surveil the area, see what you can see. Park farther out in that parking lot in a way that you can just drive out straight and then use your situation and surveillance skills as you're walking into that facility as well as walking out and look for the patterns, look for what's different. Avoid the high traffic areas, gives you more opportunities to be safe. Feel safe in your car, but it's a lot safer to be on foot. The most important point to take away for everything I say at any time is to make sure that you're not setting patterns you don't want to set. If you want to establish a pattern, a pattern of life for people to believe is you, that's fine, which we'll get into in later podcasts. But try to break those patterns that give away information about what you're doing. If people know that you're grocery shopping because that's the only time you back in, you're giving away free information. You're setting up a pattern of not only what you're doing, but possibly where you're going, how long you'll be gone. And this is not something you want to broadcast because you never know when somebody's actually looking for you or just sees a target of opportunity as a time when we're going to come and break into this person's home and take their stuff. There's a lot of different ways to categorize threats and burglaries, robberies, invasions, and all these different things, especially at a what we call a fixed site like our house. The thing to realize is there's typically planned and unplanned at different levels. Unplanned are targets of opportunity. Wrong place, wrong time. Whether it's you're there or it's nothing you can change because it's your home and somebody happens to be there doing bad things to bad people. That is unfortunate, but that's a reality of life. What we're trying to do is make our location less appealing for targets of opportunity and definitely less appealing for the people that are going to target and profile us as a place they can go and get away with stealing from us and taking our property and hurting our families. Some of the simple things we can do is actually advertise that we have security. When I used to do executive protection and private security, one of the things they used to tell us, and I've learned this from people that get licensed as security guards in their state, is that part of security is 90% deterrence by what you can see. A lot of people won't do things because they see security there. Even if it's some guy they want to make fun of because he's older and appears fat and they think he's lazy, still a lot of people won't commit even minor crimes because they see that security officer there. But at the end of the day, that's okay that they do that because they typically are making fun of them and then they walk away and don't commit those minor crimes. But not all of us can afford to hire a security company to be on site 24-7 or to even come by and patrol on occasion to check our location. So we have to do some of these security measures on our own. One of the things I recommend people do is to post signs. There's a couple in particular signs that actually would matter. One is to use a security sign, that there's a security system in use. A lot of times you can see houses that have ADT security or other security companies where the signs are up there. Those people may or may not even have those security systems and it's hard for people to actually tell. Sometimes people buy a home that has those signs there and they just leave them in place even if they don't have the security system anymore. There's a lot of companies like ADT that will allow you to put a sign there for free just to advertise that they are used in the neighborhood so they can get more business. 
ADT is one of several companies that even on occasion will pick homes in a neighborhood and give you the possibility of a major discount or even a free security system. Just know that having a free security system usually involves keeping your house rather tidy and having pre-planned visits where they have people come in, may or may not talk to you, and walk through your home to see where the system is in place. Personally, I would never use that option, but that doesn't mean it's not okay for you. Just realize that there are things that come with things that are free, as in they're never really free. The thing to consider, though, is to take a walk in your neighborhood, especially if it's a larger subdivision, and look for commonality. How many people have security signs and what company? Then I would contact the company to find out about getting a sign or perhaps getting an estimate and having them come to your home, see if they'll give you a sign and then not put the system in. More signs that are in a neighborhood from the same type of company tends to send the message that at least some of them, if not all of them, have these security systems and that's a good deterrent. Another sign you can use, and this is more common on properties uh, that are used for business or storage, although some people are using more in houses and residential areas, whether high-end or lower in these days, are signs that say that there are surveillance cameras in use. Those can also work as good deterrents. You just don't want to have too many. You want to have them in logical places and perhaps have your security company suggest where you should put those or just search online for recommendations of what are the high visibility areas I'd want to post this sign. And if you're going to have it on the structure or near a door or window in a place that can be seen from the street, you want to make sure you have a security camera there. Now this doesn't mean you need to buy a security system. You can use a fake camera or a real camera that's not connected. There aren't too many people out there that look at cameras and realize the quality of the camera, the system you have. Today's age, they're going to presume that it's hardwired somewhere. So you want to make sure that if it's fake, you run a wire to the wall. Even if you have to drill a small hole to put it in there with some caulking around it, something that looks like it's hardwired. Even if they cut that line, what people tend to know these days is security systems run to hard drives. So even if they go up and cut that line, there is some video there. So you want to make sure you have at least one camera that actually can be seen, preferably in a location it can't be tampered with or tampered with too easily, to support the signs message that there is an active security system in use. And this is really good on properties where there isn't 24-hour presence or they're publicly available to people or there's just a regular business. This is what actually cuts down on a lot of attacks at home. Now some people of course can't do this and there's a lot of people that don't want to because they think that's advertising that they have valuable items in the home and that's actually not really an accurate statement. Most homes today have valuable items that can be trafficked and sold in the black market or pond rather easily such as removable devices. So if you've got a computer and you think it's too big to take, it's not, but they could take any cameras, any accessories attached, microphones, speakers, they could take your laptop, your cell phone, your iPad, wipe them and sell them. So you got to ask yourself, what things of value could you just sell on Craigslist and get some money out of right now that any person could pick up and walk away or any two people could pick up and walk away? Those are items that are going to be taken. And with the amount of items like that, that the average person has laying around in their home that could easily be taken. That speaks to the fact that having that sign does not invite people. There's other reasons why somebody's going to target a home or target a business, and a lot of times they're going to get away with something anyway. Speaking of valuable items, I'll just say one thing about safes. If two people can pick it up and carry it away, it's not a safe, it's a present. You've just wrapped a gift. They'll try to open it somewhere else. So if you do have or plan on purchasing a smaller safe that two grown men could carry away, Find out and determine if that's something you can bolt to the ground or in some way secure it to studs in the wall. There's different things you can do there. But if two people can pick it up, they're going to take it. If two people showed up to your house in daylight and are able to get into that building 
or business, when you're not there, they will take things out of there. And if they find a safe, they will probably take that safe. And then you'll lose everything that you have in it. The most common way somebody's going to get into your house is going to be through a natural egress or degress, typically some type of door. In fact, if you look up a lot of petty crimes and smaller burglaries, it's not uncommon for people to come in through unlocked areas like unlocked screen doors or sliding glass doors are very common, unsecured windows, or they're able to get in through a standard lock and key mechanism using a bump key or picking the lock. Not quite as common, but it does happen. One of the things I always recommend to people is when you move into a new residence, unless your rental or lease agreement won't allow you, but especially if you buy a home, even if it's a brand new home, I always recommend that you change all the locks to the exterior facility, no matter what the locks are. It's a little bit of an investment, but you never know who could have got a copy of that key. The other thing too is if you're in, say, a subdivision or track homes, an area where the same builder or series of builders uh, create several residences, it's not uncommon to get there locks from all the same company so one guy comes in he builds 50 homes he might use one company even like a home depot to buy those locks a lot of people are surprised to find out that there's a lot of locks that somewhat match but the other thing is if you're going to rob a place you could just go through a construction area at night when nobody's there and figure out the brand names or numbers or anything connected to a security device like a lock and a key and maybe search online and find out different patterns or things you can do to defeat it now, if you do your research on locks, you'll actually find there's a couple that are available that are really unpickable and difficult to get through, but they're very, very expensive. So if you don't have that, you just want something that doesn't stand out visually as being too unique to your area, but definitely not the same as everybody else, not coming from the same source or the same company, and that can help. The other thing, too, is if you don't have deadbolts, you want to get those installed. And that speaks specifically to the door that leads from your main facility into your garage, no matter what kind of garage or story area you have. It's not uncommon for those not to have deadbolts. Get one installed. I bring that up because one of the things I always check or ask people about is that door that leads to your garage. I find out that it's just as common to have that unlocked as any other interior door in your house. I mean, how many people lock the door to their bathroom or to their bedroom every day? A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't realize they even have some sort of locking mechanism on there. They just don't use them unless they're in the bathroom. A lot of people don't lock that door going to their garage, and that's a huge mistake. The reason for that is if somebody gets in your garage, they're going to get through that door. And a lot of people think, well, I got the garage door, so I got a second layer of security. Well, if you're not locking that first layer, you only have one layer of security. But the other thing to realize is in our country, most garages are an automatic garage door opener. And they are the most unsecured door on a residential facility that we have today. So if you have a garage, even if it's detached, you want to take a look at that garage door. Now, some of them are manual where you have to be inside the facility already. Typically, you have to stand on the lip and apply pressure downward in order to manually open and close that garage door. Those are actually far more secure than automatic ones. Automatic ones have two main flaws. One is they're a wireless device. Now the thing with that is, if you have a vehicle or know somebody has a vehicle has buttons inside of it to open up that garage door so you don't have to use the remote that comes with it, take a look at how that works if you're not familiar with it or look it up online. Once you see that process works if you're not familiar with it already, you'll learn a very important fact. Any vehicle with that feature can sync to a garage door of any facility if they're in range. So how many times do you open that garage door? Is it every morning and every night when you come home? Now, if you want to secure your vehicle inside, I think that's smart. Just realize that's a pattern you can't get away with. 
people are going to know you leave for work at 730 and you're going to open the garage door. That's just an existing pattern. That's a situation where you have to be more diligent with your situational awareness anytime you're entering or exiting that garage and paying attention to your surroundings to see if there's anything out of place. This is why you got to establish the baseline and what's normal in that area because that's a time that there's a pattern you can't really break because, yes, it is better to store your vehicle inside than out, but you still have to take the security measures to mitigate that threat that you have no choice but to establish because you can actually park on a lot of streets in a normal residential neighborhood and try to sync with somebody's garage door. And yeah, they might think they're screwing it up when they're syncing it or opening or hit the button too many times. That's what most people look for. That's what they just assume. And next thing you know, you got a button on your vehicle or somebody else does to get into that garage. Now, that's not all too common for people to do that. Just be aware that that's a defeatable measure. It's not really a form of security. It's a form of convenience to be able to have a remote garage door opener. But actually, if somebody's going to break into your garage, they're going to do it manually. And they're going to do it on a garage that has a remote entry. That's because they tend to come with an emergency release system. Or at least that's what I call it. On the inside of your garage, if you're not familiar, take a look at it if you haven't seen it. Typically, the track that runs up through the middle, there's some sort of synthetic rope or cord hanging down that tends to have a usually some sort of plastic handle tied off. Or the rope runs through it on the end where you can pull down and release that device and open your door in case there's an issue. There's nothing wrong with that device. You just need to realize one thing. And it's what I'm about to tell you is easier to do if you have a garage that has kind of windows across the top. But those are not required. Somebody that knows what they're doing, and you can practice this and do it yourself, just realize that no matter how difficult it is for you, somebody out there knows how to do this well. It's very similar to using a jimmy or a coat hanger or anything to pick a lock in a vehicle. All you have to do is have a coat hanger or a similar item with a solid hook on it where you can run it up through the little lip at the top of that garage door and get it through on the inside and all they have to do is make attempts which is a lot easier if there's windows up there to where they can get that hook around that rope slide it down and that plastic handle that comes through crossways now works as a device in their favor and then they just pull on it release it and they get into the garage door so there's two things i recommend number one if you have windows in there i always recommend blacking them out or painting them or putting something over them at least if you're not going to be there long term um, some people really like having those but you can put things over them where you still see the nice glass on the outside but people can't see in and see what you have because you definitely don't want to do that if you do want to leave those open try your best to go outside look in your garage door what can I see put things out that are boring people probably wouldn't want to take and try to hide those more valuable items that they would want to go in there and take the other thing I tell people is very simple. That little cord that hangs down that got the handle, take the handle off even if you have to cut the cord. You could tie a knot in it. I don't recommend that. If you know what you're doing, you can use a simple Bic lighter to kind of melt those in so they don't unfray. Or you could just take a couple of wraps of a duct tape to make sure they don't unfray. But don't put so much on there that you're creating another handle or a bulky item. As long as you got the straight cord hanging down and you're able to physically reach it or use a ladder, you can reach that cord pull on it if you need to do it, but you're getting rid of that handle so that nobody else can use it their advantage to pull it from the outside to gain access to your garage. Another common feature that people don't realize comes from a security measure is when you look at homes and they have bushes that are right under windows and right around windows. It actually came from a security measure. It's just very common these days. We think it looks nice. And of course, the cat can look at the birds sitting on the bush out there, but that's actually a security measure. If you're putting bushes in front of windows, you want to have stronger, thicker bushes. Not so much they necessarily carry body weight, but they make it difficult to get close to the window to see. 
also to make it very unpleasant for anybody who tries to use it to access your building. That's why you often see things like rose bushes or similar uncomfortable bushes there. That's their purpose. So if you're going to be putting bushes in or you want to make some changes, you want to look for good, strong, deterrent bushes. They don't necessarily have to cover your window because you want to see outside. I get that. But you want them to be deep enough that if somebody poaches straight on, they don't have a very good angle and can't see a lot very clearly or as easily as they could if they put their nose up to the window. You also want them wide enough to cover not just the width of the window, but a little bit more in each direction. Now the distance you go is up to you and the type of bushes you have. If there's something like, say, hedges that are very difficult to use in their favor, you can actually run those quite wide and they would look normal. So you want to mix the idea of the aesthetic value, find pleasing, the aesthetic value that matches your area, as well as the security feature it provides you. However, you also want to take in consideration how close are those bushes to a point of egress or degress, because what you want to pay attention to, while this is unlikely, is how easily could somebody hide behind there. So you want to make sure that it's something you can see visually or inspect before exiting the building, depending on your level of seriousness, to ensure that there's nobody out there. Now you may be thinking that's unrealistic, or if I had recorded this six months ago, you might think that's unrealistic. But there's places in this country now where crime has increased. Places where, because of this pandemic, law enforcement agencies are overwhelmed trying to deal with all kinds of things. There's even cities and towns where they've said, you're going to have long delays or we're not going to respond to certain type of calls. Unfortunately, they broadcast that publicly, and that tells criminals, hey, if anybody's going to make a living right now staying at home, it's going to be you. So if you're listening to this anytime around the pandemic and it's not happening in your neighborhood too bad, look across the country and see where crime's happening and things that are happening and ask yourself, if that was to happen here, how would I break into my own house? Where would I hide? Where would I hide if I got caught breaking in or on my way out? How would I get in my own home? You want to think of it as a way as you're going to attack and burglarize your own facility and get people to help you that know your home well, not people you don't know well. So if you got a friend or somebody that comes over regularly, ask them. Take a look online. Find places where people tell you how they would break into homes. Watch documentaries and TV shows on criminals that burglarize and steal from people and find out what they did and apply those principles to your own residence. While you're doing that, any window that you can see into, at least from the ground, think of it just like the garage. Take a look in there. You know, do it while you're weeding or mowing the lawn, whatever you're doing, something that makes it look normal. The easiest of which would be to wash your outside windows. And take a look around and what can I see? You want to take as many things out of plain sight and view that you would want to steal if you were a bad guy. So how many things can somebody see looking inside your window that could be easily sold or that they want to take or steal? You want to get those out of plain sight as much as possible. So you want to consider the placement of furniture, where things are at, what angle they are, how difficult is it to see. So depending on how your house is now, who lives there, and how free you are to move furniture or rearrange the house, next time you do that or you move, take that into consideration. What pieces of furniture can you move differently? Can you use one of those simple room dividers for aesthetic value that can actually block visuals off of what you have? There was a time where I had to leave my home for almost three months for an emergency situation, and I took the time going around my house looking in from the outside, making it look normal. Where I went into my home just for this temporary situation and I repositioned clothes, jackets, shoes, even some dishes that you couldn't tell were clean from the window to where almost anywhere you could peek in through blinds if you're going to do it, it would look just like my house was trash and not taken care of. Whereas if you walked inside, you not only could tell some of it was staged, you'd see a clean house, but this little spot where it looked like it was supposed to be messy. 
And that's what I did in order to make it where somebody peeked in because I was going to be gone so long that they'd find it unappealing. Nobody wants to come into a dirty, trashy house and steal stuff. Once you get that all set up in place, another thing you want to think about is looking to the outside from within, not just from your door, if you have a peephole or security camera, if you have one, but also your windows or cracks through the blinds when they're closed. What can you see? How far can you see? What angles can you see in the front, side, rear of your home, up and down, depending on the terrain? How is your vision assisted or obstructed by the placement of where your vehicles are or where the bushes are that came with the home or that you trimmed or you may want to trim or you may want to let grow or the ones you plan on putting in or anything you put in your yard for decorative purposes? Another thing to look at is how far is your house from the road? There's places I've lived where it's very common for the house only to be about 30 or 40 feet from the road and that's really not that far when you're looking. However, there's places where the houses are set back where the majority of their property is an open front yard and it makes it a little more difficult to see in the home. So you want to take all these factors into consideration in planning what you're doing and how you're going to do things. So what we're trying to do here is make our home and our places of business unattractive to a person that may want to breach our security, get inside and steal from us. But that doesn't mean you have to have an unattractive home. Now, once you get this far, now you want to do it at night. Do it at night from the inside looking out with your lights on and your lights off and also from the outside looking in with your lights on and your lights off. And this may take a series of days. You want to look at things like, what if I turn all my lights on? What if I only turn them on these two rooms because those are the most common rooms I have them on? And you want to take a look at what you can see from what distance and factor that in as well. Then that's when we start looking at external lighting. There's all kinds of lights you can get from direct lights to floodlights at different costs. Some are charged by solar, some are hardwired in, and they work at different distances. The thing to remember is lights are meant to be shot away from the structure into the open areas to light them up, whether permanent or by motion, to show somebody approaching or advancing towards the home and so that they at least stay on while they're in motion if it's a motion detector light. If you shine that light on your house because you want people to see your house, all you're doing is allow somebody to get closer without having any light on them. And then you got to ask yourself, Depending on how well people know you or the neighborhood you live in, are you just lighting up the front door to make it easier for them to get in? How many people are really going to know that person's not supposed to be there? Then take into consideration the visiting traffic to your residence. Does your kids have friends that come over? Do you have friends that come over? Do you host regular parties or gatherings? Is it common for a lot of different people to come to your home whether you know them or not? All that is doing is establishing a pattern to somebody that wants to come into your home that you have regular visitors, which would mean most likely some, if not all of your neighbors don't know who they all are and won't necessarily see a new person is standing out. The other thing too is over time, or if you have the money now, there's a lot of simple solar lights to light small areas. You can just stick into the ground. You can buy them fairly cheaply that you can put in places to light up areas that are a little more difficult for people to be in. So let's say there's an area house and we call it a security hole where between two bushes somebody could hide in there and with your security lights it makes it difficult to see them. Well you may still want to think I'm going to put that light in the ground and shine it towards them so they can be seen. Well the other thing you can do is just put it right next to the house shining out like all the other lights where if somebody gets close they can see it and it lights them up. Sure somebody could just damage it or pull it out of the ground but they could do that to any of the other lights placed anyway. So just like anywhere else as you Put measures into place, test them out yourself. Look at them during the day, during the night, with and without other lights on. 
how well do these lights work for sensitivity when you walk by, when a bug flies by, when a rabbit walks by, if you got small animals that are wild in your area and figure out how well they're going to work. When you're placing lights, think about if you were placing security cameras, where you would put them. In fact, if you can get somebody who does security cameras or knows a little bit about it that can give you a free consult of where they would put cameras and why, try to match your lighting up with that until you can afford the security system. So you don't have a surveillance system you can put in there, that's fine. Put that light in there, whether it's permanent or motion detected. Those are the places where they're recommending you put the cameras because those are the places that are the threats or the access points that you want to be able to surveil. Because unless you have a lot of money, you can't watch all the areas all the time. And that way, if you were to leave some of those lights there, it'll just make it easier for the camera to see them in a lot of situations. If it's feasible for you to do so, the best combination is always going to be static and intermittent lights. Static lights are the ones that are on all the time, and the intermittent lights are going to be your motion detector lights. And while you may feel safer with static lights, motion lights are still good for a couple reasons. One, it flashes on quickly, and it can draw attention to people or even you in your home if you're sleeping. That is possible. The human eye is capable of seeing a match light in total darkness from miles away. The other thing, too, is the shock of that light coming on will affect the dilation of the pupils of that person who's outside or that animal to where they may pause or move differently or look out of place, and it will affect their ability to approach that light or your structure. But one thing to really remember with these intermittent lights is that you test their sensitivity out because you don't want a light necessarily that's going on all the time because a mosquito's flying by that's going to irritate your neighbors. Because all that's doing is drawing attention to you, which you don't want. Another thing to consider is sound as a deterrent. So looking at it simply, if you're a person that travels or you're going to be gone for a couple of days and you get a timer for your light systems or your television, that's a good thing to have. It makes it look like somebody's home. But another thing you can do, especially if you can't see the TV from a window, is to have a radio on some sort of talk radio or news show. If you place that volume low enough and check it from the outside, it's hard to distinguish the difference of whether or not it's people talking or a television. And what that can do is let people realize somebody is likely there. So having lights on a timer is a good thing, but having some sort of noise to accompany it to reinforce the idea that somebody's present is even better. Another thing to continue with your windows and your curtains is to consider purchasing blackout curtains. Now, if you have the money, but you don't like how they look, that's understandable, but perhaps you can get a few or some to keep around for the times when you're not going to be home. So that if you're going to travel, you can just add those to existing curtains to where from the outside, it doesn't make a huge change in the appearance of your home. But if somebody gets close, they really can't see in or even faintly see through your existing curtains. To what's inside your home. Now there's a lot of factors to consider when answering a door and identifying people that are out there. You want to make sure you have a way to look outside and identify who's at your door. There's a lot of things to consider when people come to your home, but the big thing I want to look at is package deliveries. Today's day and age, unless you have a friend mailing you something through the postal service, you're typically ordering something online. There's going to be tracking numbers on there. You can get apps on your phone to track them to find out when they're going to be delivered. And a lot of us do that because we get upset when they're late. But it's to remind us that those items are coming. The other thing is, and most of the time, but not all the time these days, you're going to be notified or seen from the seller if you bought online that it's going to be expected for you to sign for that product. So you need to make sure you know that. That way, when somebody comes and knocks on your door, you want to see if they're standing there waiting for you to sign something. If you're not expecting a package to sign for and they're waiting for you to sign, 
Don't give them total access to the house by opening all the doors if necessary. Ask them if you can help them and they should identify yourself. While you're doing that, use the simple situational stuff we talked about and look that person up and down. It actually is not uncommon for people to show up at homes wearing a lot of brown clothing and a brown hat covering their vision with no actual name tape or ID tag and posing as UPS drivers in order to gain access to that home. So you want to know currently what does a UPS driver's outfit look like? Where are the name tags placed? Do they wear hats at all or what kind of hats do they have? What's their normal habit? Because I know for me, I check that stuff pretty closely, but most of the time when the Postal Service, FedEx, or UPS comes to the home, they drop the stuff off. During normal daylight hours, they tend to ring the doorbell and walk away. So make sure you know if it's expected that you're going to have a signatory package and what you're going to do to handle that if somebody comes to your home acting like they're going to sign it. Now, if somebody comes to your home and asks about you signing or maintaining a neighbor's package, that's not normal for delivery drivers to do anymore. Or if they tell you our person told us to give it to you, that's also very unlikely. If you made contact with a delivery company to deliver at different times or different hours, what are you really going to do? Are you going to give it to your neighbor? Some people try for that in more rural areas, but it's not that common anymore. And there's so many options to go pick things up or have the delivery rescheduled. So be very skeptical of somebody that identifies a neighbor, even if they have that name. And if they have the name, that's not that hard to get. You can Google that stuff online. There's all kinds of ways you can find out where somebody lives. A lot of people have those names right out in their front yard, on their house. Or somebody could just look in their mailbox three weeks ago, look at a piece of mail and get their name, come to you three weeks later and identify Mildred from next door wanted you to take this package from her. How well do you even know that person? So be very skeptical of those situations. Another thing people often don't look at is the utility panels on the outside of their home, whether it's for the water meter, the gas company, those things are usually secured by locks by those companies. But what about the cable box or the box that has your breakers, if your breakers on the outside of your home or any other type of utility box like that? Maybe you just have something for accessing the timer to your swimming pool. You want to make sure you put a lock on those. Most of them come with a way to put a lock on or you can install it yourself. Or if it belongs to a specific utility company, you can ask them about it. You want to make sure you have a good lock on there. Yes, somebody can cut a lock, but why cut a lock if they don't have it on there at all? So at least add that layer of security. Make it look weird that somebody points out somebody showed up today with bolt cutters. Companies that provide those security boxes for whatever purpose that put locks on them, like a water meter, have the keys and ways to access those. And they're not going to come to your door asking for assistance or bolt cutters. They're going to either have that in their vehicle or deal with their company. So that also would be out of place. But it's in your best interest to put locks on those and secure those so that nobody has access to them. They can't cut your power or cut your lines or do any crazy stuff or just kids screwing around messing with your cable wires. So make sure you have good locks on those. One of the things I forgot to mention is a lot of modern day electronic garage doors actually have a security feature called vacation mode. You want to check your owner's manual and see if you have that in there. It may also be called security mode or lock mode, but there'll be some mode in there that is similar to one of those three names. What this does is allow for any other type of remote opener, whether it's even yours or somebody that's connected it to their vehicle, it makes it so it won't work at all. So if you're going to be traveling, unless you have somebody visiting your home, I would have that locked out. And in fact, for me, if I had somebody taking care of my house or checking on it, I would still lock that out because if I have somebody I trust who's going to come to my home, I'm probably giving them a key to get in. So if you're giving them a key and trust them enough with that, they can access the garage from the inside. And you can just have that security mode on so nobody else can gain access to it. you got to make them work a little harder. Also, some garages these days come with an external keypad for you to punch a 
key in or a PIN number in order to gain access to that garage, first thing is look at those, especially if you're adding them yourself, how long can you make that number? The longer the better. But typically they're a very low security feature and it's very easy to get lucky and open it or even over a matter of years of people using it, the numbers wear off easily. So what I suggest is you keep that for emergency backup purposes and if you're going to be gone for any amount of time or you don't trust it, I would reset that number. And I would definitely, if you're able to, reset it at a time frame when nobody knows you're really what you're doing or make it look normal or just park your vehicle in a way nobody can see what you're doing and change that security number when you're traveling or going to be out of town even overnight. That way if somebody's been around and watching it, it minimizes the chance that they've looked and seen what you're doing or taken a photo and tried to establish that PIN number in order to gain access to your garage. Now if you want to get a little more extreme, and you may already have these devices in your home as they make a type of clamp called a C-clamp that are typically made out of metal where there's a long screw that goes in through where the open part of the letter C that you can clamp devices down. You can use those on the tracks on the left and right side of your garage door, especially if you're going to be going long term. It's a little more extreme, but it's a more effective way to add another layer of security to that garage door. So that way it makes it very difficult. So even if they try to use the keypad or try to use some sort of remote, they can't get in. Then they try to pull that string. They can't pull the string. Then they find a way where they can get something released and start to move that garage door. You have another layer of security on each side that makes it more difficult or almost impossible to lift that door without causing damage and the amount of time they're going to be there they'd be very noticeable. There's another security feature a lot of people don't look at or they look at I guess you could say just for fun but you can do this without spending any money at all as long as you can get online and that's to look up crime statistics. Some places will have very specific numbers for your neighborhood or your portion of town and I would look uh, across possibly your whole town depending on the size of it so if you live downtown New York City, that's a lot of stuff. You're probably not going to look that big. But in a lot of places, you can get crime statistics. You can also find out patterns, times of year when things happen. A lot of times in my local newspaper in my smaller town, which is the type of town I tend to live in, they will tell us things like, oh, these people got arrested this weekend or people got arrested for this. And they'll talk about break-ins, burglaries, and robberies. And you'll see things that are happening like, hey, you know what? Five times in the last six months in my town, there's been people who've gone into somebody's house and stolen stuff, and it was always through an unlocked sliding glass door. And you'll find that people have bad things they do or don't follow through on, and then you can just go double-check that stuff yourself. You can, of course, find other things in numbers, like the amount of people that are perhaps sexual predators and information like this to find out how close they live to you. You can look up all kinds of stuff on crime in your area to figure out what are the trends, what are people doing, what can I do to mitigate that. You can also do that for home selection when you're looking at relocating. Another thing you can do is visit your local law enforcement office. It's not uncommon for them to speak with you or to set appointments or perhaps even have literature on ways to secure your home, trends that are happening, things that have happened in the last few months or couple of years, things to look out for because that's just something they're going to know because they conduct these investigations. So don't leave out your local law enforcement or security expert for your area. And when you're considering a security expert, even somebody with security cameras or lights, anybody you're going to hire for that, sometimes you find people and products and companies you'd rather use that are, say, outside of town. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a local company, I would still bring them on just to get that estimate. And the biggest reason for it, even if you know you're not going to use them, is they're more likely to have more direct knowledge of what's going on in your area and what they've had to do in the area. And a lot of times you can tell they're trying to sell you the product. 
but I would definitely listen to what they have to say about the local area and figure out what things you can do or ask that next company to do that can help protect your home. Now, if you're wondering what this has to do with the gray man concept, this is actually part of the training I received. And a lot of it had to do with traveling to locations that were controlled by the organizations we work with and the type of security they would have in. And we always start with common home security measures. It was also meant for part of the training for in the case somebody went far enough through training and they had to live abroad or live in a covert status. They might have a residence they have to pick out and they have to provide their own security. And there's, of course, a lot more tips and tricks and details that go beyond this and some things that aren't even feasible for the average person. But these are part of the things you look at as basic security protocols. And then we up the ante to not only cooler toys, but people that are trained to come after guys that commit espionage. What are other espionage guys going to do if they're coming after you? But it always starts with this basic stuff, which I think applies to most people most of the time anywhere that lives in society. Now, while there are only a few key points that I've covered, I think the biggest ones I've talked about is not just the method you use, but how you put it in place. Do your research. Buy good products. Buy them when you can. What are the biggest threats? What would you do to get in your house right now? Start there if you don't know anybody that can help you with it. Always at a minimum, look and listen. Inside to out, outside to in, daylight and darkness. What are other people doing in your area of town or in your neighborhood or subdivision? Do they have lights up? Do they have security signs? Do they have cameras? Where are those oriented? Where are the bushes and other items placed? Whether they meant to do it or not, most likely they didn't. What items look like a deterrent to you? If you had to pick a window to break into, which one would you pick? Then start looking at the ones you wouldn't pick and why. What changes can you make around your home? Now, a lot of these take a lot of time, but it's no different than anything else. you got to start somewhere. Always remember, too, we're trying to make our home and our residences and these places unattractive to the majority of the crime that happens. Doesn't mean the house has to be unattractive. So look at security, aesthetic value that you find pleasing, as well as the commonality to your area. Now, I've had people ask me if I was going to start one place, no matter how much money I had, what's the first place to start with? I would say your locks. Take a look at those deadbolts and doorknobs on your house, especially if you didn't build the house yourself. How can you replace them? For most people, they're not that difficult. Maybe you have a friend that can help you. Maybe you got to hire somebody. But if you're paying somebody else to do it, find out where they're getting those doors from and those keys from. Or can you just record them? Is it cheaper to just replace the actual lock mechanism and not the whole handle? Make sure they don't stand out too much. Make sure they're somewhat unique. And if you've got the money, Research the quality of locks that you can get because there are some out there that are very expensive to $300 a lock, but they are as current technology stands as close as you can get to the impossibility of picking, which is solely based on how that mechanism is made. They're not made for normal regular keys and they're not made to where a typical person, even a locksmith could pick them unless they know exactly what they're looking at. The other answer I give is without spending money, what can I do? Start looking in your house from the outside. How can I reposition my valuables? Where can I put my valuables that make it less appealing to somebody who's looking in my house may want to come in there and take something? For most people, that's going to be simple and fairly easy to do and cost you nothing. As always, like and share this podcast with your friends. If you think it's something they're going to be interested in, you can go down to the Facebook and Twitters in the show notes as well as my YouTube channel. I just recently did a YouTube show on interrogation and interviewing on informed state of mind on YouTube. And I just did another live show on my channel having to do with psychological operations, focusing on propaganda, information, warfare, 
and false flags. I've got some polls out on my YouTube channel as well as Facebook looking for some input from our listeners. Right now I'm looking at possibly trying to maintain a four to six series podcast covering at least two to three weeks and then doing a live show to where we can cover those areas and then have some of you ask me some questions. To all of you out there that came and saw the live show and asked questions and the first time there, thank you for coming and thank you for all your great questions. If you have any questions of me and you go to my Facebook page, you can send me a message there as well as my email is there and you can send me a message and I will either answer you directly or put it on a podcast. And if it's a big enough subject, I'll get some guests and experts and do it on a live YouTube show. Thank you. And this has been Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.